Good morning, church. Welcome to our online service. Uh, we're praying for you. Uh, we love you. We miss you. And uh, hope all is well. Um, we are now in part five of uh, our series, Faith in Action, uh, from the book of James. Our text today is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Again, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And today we're going to finish chapter 1. Uh, we have now come to the third movement of James in this chapter. And the first movement is how the Christian copes with trials. The second movement is how the Christian copes with temptation. And the third movement is how the Christian connects connects with the Word. And this is the focus of today's text. And by the way, James uh, calls the Word of God by different terms. Uh, in verse 18, he calls it the Word of Truth. In verse 21, he calls it the implanted Word. In verse 22, he calls it the Word. And in verse 25, he calls it the perfect law of liberty. The title of my message today is, Do the Word. Everyone say, Do the Word. Uh, as Christians, God intends that we would be well-grounded in sound doctrine and that we would live lives that conform to that doctrine. And in today's text, it's to the issue of doctrine put into practice that James now turns our attention to. Uh, not just hearing the Word and not just knowing the Word, but but doing the word. Now, throughout the Bible, uh, we are challenged, we are encouraged, and also exhorted to be in the word, to have a hunger uh, and a thirst for the word of God. Write this down, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. And Peter writes, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers. Of the field, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word, love that, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And then he says this, and this is the word that was preached to you. The next chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Peter says, therefore, and he says, therefore, he's pointing back to what he said back in chapter 1, verse 25, where he says, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. So he says, he says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And then he says this, like newborn babies, that's attitude. That's to have an attitude toward the Word of God, that attitude toward the Word of God. Then he says, crave pure spiritual milk. That's appetite, an appetite for the Word of God. Then he says, so that by it you may grow up, grow up, in your salvation. That's aim. Attitude, appetite, and aim. That's the goal of the word is that we would grow up, grow up in our salvation. That, that's a message in of, of itself. Now here at CCF, we teach the Bible expositionally. That's chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that you get the whole context of the text and not a pretext. You see, as pastors and teachers, it is our responsibility to give you sound, solid preaching and teaching of God's Word. Now, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. But with that blessing, there is a danger. And that danger is in taking the preaching and teaching of God's Word for granted. The, uh, the, the danger of, of losing the right approach, the danger of losing the right attitude to the Word of God. Well, this is exactly what James is talking about in our text I want to give you three points from our text today. If you're ready, say amen. Number one is this, listening. Write that down, listening. And then look at verse 19a with me. 
listening, verse 19a, James writes, My dear brothers, take note of this. My dear brothers, therefore, it also say therefore, and this refers back to what he said in verse 18. Now remember, in verse 18, he was talking about the word. And he says, he chose to give us birth through the word of, of truth. So we know that getting saved has to do with hearing the word of truth, because apart from the word, uh, we wouldn't know the way of salvation. So let's look at the text again. My dear brothers, take note of this, or therefore, everyone, he says, should be quick to listen. So James is saying, in light of your salvation by the word, you are to be quick to hear the word. Now, I want to say this. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. This is a command. Uh, stay with me here. To be quick to listen, what that does, that implies an eagerness and an attitude to take in the word from every angle. In other words, we are to be good, focused, attentive, ready, eager listeners when it comes to the Word of God. Now, hopefully as believers, we have a, a, a desire, an appetite, and a hunger for God's Word. I want you to write these uh, scriptures down. Psalm 119, Psalm chapter 119, verse 31. And by the way, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119, and it, uh, it talks about the Word of God. Uh, Psalm 119.31 says, I open my mouth and pant and pant, longing for your commands. Love that. Pant, longing for your commands. Psalm 19, Psalm chapter 19, verse 10, regarding God's commands, David says this. He says, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. So I have a question for you. Do you, do you delight in the Word? Do you, do you long for the Word? Do you crave the Word of God? Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verse 9, says, He who has ears, let him hear. And Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing the Word and hearing by the Word of God. Love that. Now listen, if we desire to get anything from the Word, it begins with preparing ourselves to hear it, to hear it. We need to, to cultivate an ear to hear the Word of God. Every Sunday when I preach, some of you uh, are really, really listening. Uh, in fact, I can see the readiness in some of you before we even get into the Word. On the other hand, some of you are here, but you're not hearing the Word of God because uh, your mind is perhaps somewhere else. You're, you're texting, you're talking, uh, in fact, some of you will sit through the whole sermon and not remember a thing about it. That being said, I want to give you some suggestions that will help you get ready to hear God's Word on Sunday. Very practical stuff here. First of all, get your rest. Get your rest. Go to bed early the night before. It's important that you get your rest. If you go to church, come to church tired, uh, you will not be an attentive listener um, so you need to get your rest. When you come to church and you're rested, then you're alert and aware to hear what God wants to say to you. So, so get your rest. Also, uh, read the Word and be prayed up. Read the Word and be prayed up uh, before you come to church. Again, read the Word and be prayed up before you come to church. Uh, we should spend time in the Word and spend time in prayer before we come um, to church. And finally, come to church already praising and worshiping God. Come to church already praising and worshiping God. Don't wait till you get
get here first. Now, I want you to get this. When you get your rest, when you read the Word, and you're prayed up, and when you come to church already praising and worshiping God, what you're doing is you're preparing the soil of your heart to receive the seed of the Word. And what you're doing is you're cultivating the new nature, and what you're doing, and I love this, is you're positioning yourself to hear what God has to say to you. And you know what? That we would be like young Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, where Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that we'd also heed to the exhortation of the psalmist in Psalm 46.10, where he writes, Be still and know that I am God. Now what James does is he makes two statements to help us see the hindrances to listening to God's word. And the first statement is found in verse 19b. Stay with me now. And he says, slow to speak, slow to speak. Now, perhaps the believers uh, James is writing to were speaking to gain attention for themselves without weighing their words or thinking before speaking. And whatever the case might be, when it comes to God's word, when it comes to life itself, we all need to speak less and listen more. And if, we, uh, if we're ready to, to share anything, hopefully we have thought it through before putting our mouths in gear. A busy talker is usually not a good listener. Now, I want you to listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth for proportional reasons, uh, that we would listen more than we talk, 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 otherwise we would just have one ear. Proverbs, Proverbs has a lot to say about the mouth, has a lot to say about words, and I want you to write these down. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, when words are many, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 17, verse 27a, Proverbs 17, verse 27a says, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint. So we need to be slow to speak because we cannot hear God when we're running at the mouth. Now, now listen. James is not saying that we can't interact with God's word or say something or ask questions. In, in the text, he's speaking to believers who were never silent before God or, or uh, who, when confronted with the word of God, got angry with God. Notice the second. That, that brings us right into the second statement. Notice the second statement, verse 19c, and slow to become angry. That being said, let me ask you a question. How do you respond when the word of God steps on your toes? When the Word of God makes you feel uncomfortable, when it reveals the true condition of your heart. Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. It says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, the problem most of us have about reading God's word is that, uh, is that we don't like the fact that the word reads us. It reads us. Now, let's be honest. As Christians, at times, I think that we get angry when we're confronted with the truth about ourselves because that's what the Word of God does. The Word touches vital, sensitive areas in our hearts, and what it does, it exposes the truth about how or how we're living. 
Now, now listen, at the moment that we become angry, at, at that very moment, we shut our ears to the Word of God because anger, what anger does, anger prevents the mind and the heart from a true sense of reverence in hearing God's Word. Kent Hughes said this, an angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. And, and that's so true. Now, it's not just being angry about at, at God, excuse me, at God or His Word that prevents us from listening to His Word, but it also, it's also being angry towards others. And I want you to listen here, okay? God's Word cannot penetrate the heart of a believer who is harboring resentment towards others. Now, if you're saved, say amen. And if you said amen, we, we cannot walk with God with wrath burning in our hearts. Our anger, our anger, subjective anger, uh, can destroy us and also destroy those around us. Now, now I want to say this. We can walk with God with anger in our hearts if that anger is just, objective, or what we call righteous anger. In fact, in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, uh, it tells about Jesus walking into the temple, and there he sees what the money changers are doing. He gets angry, and he overturns the tables. Jesus had a just, objective, righteous anger. Now, if we respond to God's word in anger or living with anger towards others, then we have missed the opportunity to see and to know the conviction in our lives in order to repent and grow. Now, now, angry Christians, listen now, angry Christians give the wrong impressions about Christianity. They don't produce the kind of righteousness that God expects for them. So with that being said, look at verse 20. For, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So there's a lesson here, and this is the lesson. Subjective anger does not work the righteousness of God. I'm going to say it again. Subjective anger does not work the righteousness of God. If we allow subjective anger to take hold of us, we give the devil a foothold in our life. So, 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 why, so why slow to anger? Well, this is why. To accomplish God's goal of establishing in us His righteousness. And so what we need to do, we need to accept uh, what God's Word has to say to us and release any resentment that we may have towards someone else. So point number one is listening. Point number two is receiving. Receiving. Because we know that's more than just listening. We must also receive and accept the Word of God. In other words, let, let the Word of God take root in our lives. But it takes two things in order for that to happen. Two things to prepare our hearts for the Word. The first thing is this. Phil, uh, put this down, write this down, is, is purity. Say that, say purity. Look at verse 21a with me. It says, Therefore, get rid of, in other words, to put off from oneself, therefore, get rid of all moral filth, excuse me, moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent. So what James is saying is that we must, listen now, must have pure hearts, pure hearts. Psalm 51.10, David says, and I love this, he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. So, so if we're, we're believers, what we need to do is we need to deal with our sin immediately, decisively, and radically. Why? Why? Because any sin can break our fellowship with God. Not, not, our, not our sonship, but our fellowship 
with God. So we must have pure hearts. That's purity. The second thing uh, is humility. Humility. Say that. Write that down. Humility. Look at verse 21b. And James writes, And humbly, humbly accept the word planted in you. And humbly accept the word planted in you. So we must have humble hearts, not, not just pure hearts, but also humble hearts. I want you to write this down, Psalm 25, 9. Psalm 25, 9. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Isaiah 66, verse 2b. Again, Isaiah 66, verse 2b says, This is the one I esteem. He who is humble, there's that word again, humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word, at my word. Back to the text. And humbly, James says, accept the word planted in you. So the idea there, the idea is to appropriate God's word, to apply it to one's soul so as to welcome it into our being, okay, to take root in our souls. So, so listen, pure, a pure and humble heart is a receptive, teachable heart. Now, now the word, now the word can begin to take root in our hearts. Look at verse 21c. Which can save you? Now, now listen, and you got to get this. This is not talking about your conversion experience. This is talking about saving you from the consequences of sin. I want you to get this. To save us not from damnation, but from damage to our walk with God. I'm going to say it again. To save us not from damnation, but from damage to our walk with God. You see, the, the ultimate consequence of sin for the believer is death in regard to our fellowship with God and or premature physical death, not spiritual or eternal death, but premature physical death. And we talked about this last week. So two things that we must do to deliver our soul from sin. First of all, put off filthy garments of sin. That's, that's removal. I'm going to say it again. Put off filthy garments of sin. That's removal. And humbly accept the word planted in us. That's reception. You have removal and now reception. And if we do one without the other, we will fail. So uh, purity and humility create in us a heart ready to receive the word of God. Right? That's what it does. That being said, I want you to do is I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Would you do that? Turn to Matthew chapter 13, uh, verses 18 through 23. Again, Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. You can turn to that or write it down. Because here, there in Matthew, uh, Jesus gives uh, the parable of four types of hearts when it comes to listening and receiving God's word. And it says this, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. I'm going to say it again. This is the seed sown along the path. This soil represents the hard heart. 
It represents the hard heart. The soil is, is beaten down. It's hard. Therefore, the seed has no chance to sprout, no chance to take root. And, and the birds come and they take the seed. Uh, this speaks of a, of a non-believer. Um, they hear the word, but because their heart is hard, Satan comes along and he snatches it. Let's read on, verses 20 through 21. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But, verse 21, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, and so what it says, he quickly falls away. So this soil represents the shallow heart. The shallow heart. And this soil, this soil, excuse me, has a little bit of topsoil. It's got rocks in it. And that's what keeps the seed from getting too deep. It doesn't last. Um, this is the person who comes to church, gets all excited about it, but does nothing about it. Uh, they're thrilled, but they're not transformed. I'm going to say it again. They're thrilled, but they're not transformed. A lot of joy, a lot of emotion. Uh, but lack of depth, uh, no, 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 they're, they're not rooted, they're not grounded. So when tough times come their way, they, they fall away. Verse 22, the one who received the seed and fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it making it unfruitful. This soil represents the, the crowded heart. The crowded heart. The, the seed is choked out by, by weeds. And, and this person allows the cares or the worries of this world and the pursuit of riches to distract them from or chokes out the fruitfulness in their lives. Now, now I want to say this, and listen. You can't worry and worship at the same time. You can't worship the mighty dollar and mighty God at the same time. Now, now, now in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, Luke 8, 14, Luke adds a third thing, a third thing that chokes us, that distracts us from growing in our God-given potential. And he uses the word, the word there is pleasure. He adds pleasure. You see, you can be so busy having fun that you don't have time to listen to God. And I want to say this. And I want you to get this. There's a lot of Christians who are letting recreation take priority over worship. I'm going to say it again. There's a lot of Christians who are letting recreation take priority over worship. And you see, worry and, and money and pleasure are weeds that will choke out what God wants to say and, and what God wants to do in our lives. Now, I want you to get this. A weed, a weed is anything that robs us of time with God and keeps us from hearing what God wants to say to us. Listen, the Word, God's Word, cannot take root if it's competing with other root systems. I'm going to say it again. God's Word cannot take root in our lives if it's competing with other roots, root systems. Verse 23, but the one who received the seed and fell on good soil, say good soil, is the man who hears the word, loves this, I love this, and understands it. Okay, he produces a crop. 
yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This soil represents the fruitful heart. The fruitful heart. This heart is, got to get this now, this heart is a pure and humble heart. What's the lesson? There's a lesson here. And the lesson is this. The Word works in the right heart. I'm going to say it again. The Word works in the right heart. If the soil is right, then the seed sprouts and it begins to flourish. If our heart is in the right place, and I love this, God can do much through His Word. Now, every Sunday, when I preach the Word, all four hearts are represented. So are you the hard heart? The hard heart, you know, you, you don't want to hear it. Are you the shallow heart? Where you're emotional, excited, but you fall away when tough times come? Are you the crowded heart? Where your mind is so preoccupied with worry, with money, and pleasure? Or are you the fruitful heart where you come in ready to listen and receive because the soil of your heart is pure and humble? Question, which one represents you? Listening, number one. Number two, receiving. And number three is practicing. Practicing, write that down. Say that, practicing. And look at verse 22 with me. James writes, do not merely listen to the word. In other words, don't just passively sit under the teaching of God's word. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. I want you to pay attention to that. And so deceive yourselves. Because I want to say this. It's not, just, it's not only Satan who deceives us. It's also ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. That's why Jeremiah 17, 9 Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Then he says this. Well, let's go back. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Then he says this. Love this. Do what it says. The key phrase in the text. Do what it says. In the Greek, that whole phrase is poietes. Poietes, it's P-O-I-E-T-E-S. P-O-I-E-T-E-S, poietes. And it means a maker. It means a producer. It means a doer. It's the act of doing that refers to developing a pattern or also a habit of life by which you give attention to following and doing what God's Word teaches us. And I want to say this, listening is not growing. Growing is doing. It's practicing the Word. So the question is not so much, do you mark your Bible? Rather, does the Bible mark you? Does your Bible mark you? Now, now listen, church. God demands action from us. As his children, he demands action. His word gives us information, and what it does, it confronts us. It confronts us with a decision. What are we going to do, you and I, what are we going to do with what we now know and what we've received? Because God demands action from us. Now, you know, we, we live in a day and age where 
Bible study has almost taken on a recreational tone. And believe it or not, there's some Christians who have no concern for obeying what they've heard from the Word of God, and that's very, very sad. I want to say this. We, we do serious damage to our spiritual life when we expose ourselves to the Bible, but do absolutely nothing with what we've read. God's Word, and I want to tell you this, God's Word is not for academic or recreational purposes. It's not to be a hobby for us. And we are to treat it as the very word of the living God that reveals himself and his ways to us, that shows us his will, that directs our steps, that answers our questions about life and relationships, and that explains to us how we are to live in light of his word. So with that being said, I want to give you some steps, practical steps to reading God's word. Observation. Observation, what does it say? And then you have interpretation. Interpretation, what does it mean? What does it mean? Observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? And then application, what does it say to me? In other words, how does it apply to my life? How does it apply to my actions? So you have observation, interpretation, application, but there must be, here we go, implementation implementation. That's putting it into practice. Implement the word into, our, into your life. Be a doer of the word. That, that's the goal. So great. Observation, great. Interpretation, great. Application, great. But there must be implementation. We must begin to practice, do, live out what we've learned from God's word. Verse 23. Stay with me now. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. So what James is saying, he's saying God's word serves as a mirror. What it does, it reveals the condition of our lives, of our hearts. It reveals ourselves. It shows the flaws in our lives. That being said, if, if we look at a mirror or at the mirror, excuse me, of God's word, and do not wash our soul by confessing our sin, then we're not applying the principles of God's word to our lives or to our experiences. Now, friends, if, if God's word does not cause us to see our true spiritual condition, then there's something wrong with our understanding of its principles, of our understanding of its applications. Let me ask you this. If you're, if you're looking into a mirror and find a smudge on your face, would you go to church without wiping it off? No. And yet, and yet, we do that spiritually. We move about with spiritual dirty faces, with lives out of sync with God. The New Living Translation says this, For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. Verse 24, James writes, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets, or in other words, neglects or disregards what he looks like. In other words, if we don't allow the word to speak to us and change us, we'll walk away from it and quickly forget the image that it revealed. In other words, a casual, unconcerned, glance 
at the word will not have lasting effects. So what James does now, James now reveals the expectation of believers, which is opposite of those who casually glance at the word. And this expectation is threefold. So I want you to follow me here. It involves, write this down, it involves three things. It involves consideration. Write that down, say consideration. And I want to say this. We will never respond, as believers, we will never respond to the word of God as we should until we take the time to genuinely consider it. Consider it. Verse 25a. But the man who looks intently, the idea there is stooping down near something in order to get a closer look. But the man who looks intently, he goes on to say this, into the perfect law. The perfect law. The word of truth, the word implanted, the word. James calls it law because it's the authoritative message from God which requires our obedience. Our obedience. So he says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law, listen to what he says, that gives freedom. Not bondage, but freedom. So what it's saying, if we follow the principles of God's word, we will experience personal liberty, personal freedom. How awesome is that? I love that. So consideration, the next one is this, continuation, continuation. Look at verse 25b. And continues, continues to do this. Literally, it means in his doing. Not underlines it, not quotes it, but continues in it. So let's read this. And continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard. Love this. Here we go. But doing it. But doing it. This person continues in the word. They continue in the word. He or she has studied it. Okay, not becoming a forgetful hearer. Their whole life, their whole life is viewed as a continual, consistent doing. It's more than isolated acts of obedience. It's an entire life. Got to get this, an entire life devoted to doing God's will, to doing God's word. Consideration, uh, continuation. Love that, right? Now, I want to say this before we move on. We sometimes spend too much time being concerned about being too busy in the work of God. Rather, this is what God expects. We are to be characterized, as believers, we are to be characterized by doing. Now, now if we're honest, if we're honest, too much of our lives is consumed by things that have absolutely no eternal significance. The blessing, got to get this, the blessing doesn't come in studying the Word of God, though that is great. The blessing comes in doing the Word of God. Consideration, continuation, here we go. Compensation. 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 Verse 25c. He will be blessed in what he does. Gotta love that. He will be blessed in what he does. Listen, obedience always leads to blessings. Listen, God always, always blesses obedience. God loves it when you and I are 
obedient to his word. So, so we need to intently look into the word, see what God would have us be and do. Then we must be about what? Doing. Doing. And as obedient hearers whose lives are constantly doing the word, we will experience the blessings of God. So that being said, question, is your life characterized as one who is constantly, constantly doing the word of God? Now, in the last two verses, it seems like the verses are not related to the context, but they are. They are. And what James does, he, James closely links these two verses to the previous verses in that a consistent, got to get this, a consistent Christian life always, always shows up in practice. Always shows up in practice. And what James does is he gives specific marks of a believer whose faith is genuine. Three marks, and here we go, follow me now, is a controlled tongue. A controlled tongue. First mark is a controlled tongue. Let's, let's look at the text now. Verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious. Now, originally, that was a good word, okay? It's, it was a good word, not a bad word. In the Greek, the word religious is threskos. Threskos, that's T-H-R-E-S-K-O-S. T-H-R-E-S-K-O-S, threskos. That's in the Greek, religious threskos, and it's used only in the New Testament. And what it does, it describes someone who fears and worships God, one who is diligent in the performance of the outward service of God, the outward consequence or, or practice of what one believes. It's belief that behaves, practicing God's word, and sharing it with others. So let's go back to that. If anyone considers himself religious, okay, religious, in the good sense, okay, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, okay, we're going to focus more on the tongue in chapter 3. Uh, obviously, the tongue was a problem, right? Okay, and yet does not keep a tight rein or bridle his tongue on his tongue, he deceives himself. This is the third time, notice, this is the third time James has warned his readers about deceiving themselves, right? So, let's go on. And, and his religion is worthless. So let's read all together. And yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself, himself, and his religion is worthless. So, in other words, our Christianity is useless when we don't translate what we believe into practice. And a Christian who doesn't keep their mouth shut deceives their own heart. But a Christian who can reign in their mouth, who, who can uh, bridle their mouth, their tongue, is someone who can practice what they preach. If the heart is right, the speech will be right. Now I want you to write this down. Psalm 141, verse 3. Love what it says. And we should take heed to this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. No matter how spiritually we think we are, or maybe, we could all control our speech more effectively. So, a controlled tongue, the second mark is this, a love for others. 
Write that down. Say that. A love for others. Look at verse 27a. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure, that's pure, true religion, okay? And faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So these represent two of the most uh, needy groups in ancient society. Uh, those of, in other words, those of, what well, James is saying, those of pure, true religion will be marked by compassion for others. So, so if we're saved, then we should have a compassion for the less fortunate, for widows, for orphans, for the needy. The third mark, here we go, is a holiness before God, a controlled tongue, a love for others, and finally a holiness before God. Look at verse 27b. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, if you're saved, you ought to say amen. If you said amen, we have a responsibility before God for personal purity. And even though we live in a polluted world, and we do, we are to remain unblemished by it. We must be characterized as believers. We must be character, characterized excuse me, by moral purity. And I want to give you some verses to support that. 1 John chapter 5 Verses 18 through 19. First John 5, 18 through 19. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Second Peter 3, 14. And First Timothy, First Timothy 6, 14. First Timothy 6, 14. So the religion, the, the, the true, pure religion that is acceptable before God transform a person within and without. That's what it does. Write this down, 1 Corinthians 5, 17. Most of you might know this by heart. When Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, key, key word there, key words there, in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. So, so, so what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. True, pure, true, pure religion changes my way of life. True, pure religion changes my way of life. It affects, listen now, it affects how I speak to people. It would show how, it shows how I care for those who are less fortunate than myself. And it also, it affects how I relate to the world. In other words, in other words, true, pure religion is practicing God's word and sharing it with others through speech, a controlled tongue, through service, a love for others, and through separation, a holiness before God, keeping myself free from worldly contamination. So in light of all that we've learned today, question, are you a forgetful hearer or an effectual doer? I'm going to say it again. Are you a forgetful hearer or an effectual doer? Don't deceive yourselves. Just do it. Just do the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together to be in your word. We thank you for your word that confronts us, that, that reveals our flaws, that reveals our shortcomings, that we would get it right with you, that we would have a pure and humble heart 
so that your word would take root within our lives. And that as we study and read your word, that we would live it out within our lives. Not just hearers of your word, but also doers to the glory of your name. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.